Welcome to the Cherry Hill Sermon Podcast. The following message is part of a sermon series called The Blessing. Together we're learning the importance of giving the gift of unconditional love and acceptance. Thanks for joining us today. Well, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And uh, if you brought your Bibles, that's about a fourth of the way back in your Bible. If you come to Acts and Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, I'm in 2 Corinthians 8. If you didn't bring a Bible, please know that you can pull one of the black ones out in front of you, hopefully in a seat rack near you, on page 806. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that one. We'll replace it. We want every person to have their own copy. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians 8 today as we finish the blessing series. If you haven't been with us for the last seven weeks, we have been walking our way through this series called The Blessing. We, we looked the first week of why we need the blessing, and then the next five weeks we looked at the five elements of the blessing that was often given, both by God and often by uh, the patriarchs as they blessed their children. And so we've been looking at those. Today we're going to talk about how we can be a church that gives the blessing. And the reason I'm asking you to turn to 2 Corinthians 8 is because this is one of the most encouraging examples of what it looks like when God's people get it, when they understand that picture and that vision. And the other reason that I want to talk to you about this passage is because along with this idea of the blessing is this important idea of grace. And so uh, four times in these verses that we're going to look at in just a few moments, the word grace appears. In fact, let me just read the very first verse to you because it gives an idea. The Apostle Paul says this. He's writing to the Corinthian believers, but he says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. This is a fascinating phrase to me. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So grace appears four times in these verses and concluding in verse nine, which we'll eventually read together. But if you're following along, here's what I want you to understand about how the grace and the blessing go together. Grace is God's undeserved favor. Let me pause. Some of us have heard that definition before. Grace is God's unmerited favor, God's undeserved favor. Some of us have heard that definition. And so a lot of us think about God's favor, God's undeserved kindness, that kind of thing. But most of us don't understand that grace isn't just some ethereal thing. Grace is power. And that's the next word I want you to see, is it's God's undeserved favor, power, and blessing. Grace is God's undeserved favor, power, and blessing. We don't just need God to be kind to us. We need God to give us power to live the Christian life. Uh, There is no way you and I can save ourselves. So in our own power, we cannot change our condition. But God, in his grace, in his power, in his blessing, has come to change our lives. Now I want to say something. Each week we've been talking about the blessing. And the first week we started by saying, have you received the blessing from your parents? And the idea was, is that there is this idea we see in the scripture but not only how God blesses, but also how parents blessed. God wanted parents and wanted families to be healthy in the ideal way. That's what he wanted. But sin entered the world and there has been so much corruption of God's original intent and Jesus came to try and restore that. But what, what I want you to see is that even if you didn't receive the blessing from your parents and even if you did, There is only one blessing that every person must have 
in order to live for eternity. And it's the blessing of Christ. It's the gospel, the good news. And the gospel is the gospel of grace. Look at Tim Keller, what he says about this. And again, I've shared this a number of times before, and some of you have told me this helps you. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Do you believe that? Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. This idea is, is that the reason why it's grace is because it's undeserved. It's unmerited. To the degree that you and I realize that we have all turned away from God, that we have all gone our own way, and therefore we have forfeited the right to have God's kindness to us, to have God's relationship to us. To the degree we understand that, we'll appreciate everything God gives us that's gracious. Now, I want to just give you three words before we go any further. And you may want to write this down. In the last service, people wrote this down. I want to give you the word justice, mercy, and grace. I think I've shared this before, but this may help you. Justice is getting what we deserve. Justice is getting what we deserve. So if you say to God, God, I want to get what I deserve, you might want to rethink that. <laughs> mercy is not getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Justice is getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Now here's what's great. God, instead of giving us justice, gave us mercy and grace. Praise his name. And if you've never received his grace, today could be the day for you the blessing. He wants you to know the blessing. So here's the series sentence that we've been looking at, and I'll ask you to read it out loud with me one more time as we conclude the series today. In Christ, God wants each of us to know the blessing so we can give the blessing. Now, when I say no, I don't just mean in your head. We have so many people walking around that call themselves Christians that all they know about the blessing is in their head. But God wants you to know it in your heart. God wants you to know it in such a way that something springs brand new in your life so that you can give the blessing. And again, we've been looking at this each week on a human level. What is the blessing when we bless each other or when we bless God? Here it is. Words and actions that convey his grace, if you're following along. Some of you know that for weeks we've been saying words and actions that convey affirmation. The word convey just means to pass on, means to impart to give from yourself. So words and actions that convey his grace is what I want you to see. To know his grace and to convey his grace. And you and I can do that in words and actions as we grow in Christ. And so again, I'm hoping that this series will be helpful to you in lots of different ways. I appreciate all the different comments that many of you have shared with me, some of the examples, the stories of how it's affected your own life. But what I want you to see today is what would it look like if instead of just all of us being disconnected individuals, his blessing began to flow through our church in a togetherness like we've never experienced before because that's what God wants us to know. I, wouldn't it be cool if years from now people would say, we want you to know about the grace that God has given Cherry Hills. Wow. And not rah, rah Cherry Hills, but just, oh my gosh, I know what Cherry Hills was like before God gave him grace like that. 
That'd be powerful. So let me just pray, and then we're going to actually unpack this about being a church who gives the blessing and practicing it. Now, Lord, I thank you for how you're already doing something in our church family. We sense it. You've graced us. Thank you for not giving us justice when we deserved it, but giving us mercy and grace, not just at the beginning, but every moment of the day, just like fresh manna, like you gave the people of Israel. Help us, Lord, to walk in your grace and to share it. For Jesus' sake and for his glory, amen. All right, so here's what, we'll read this together and then we'll unpack it and then we're gonna take communion together, which is a great reminder of his grace. Here we go. And when you get to verse nine, by the way, can you be ready to read it? It's in the first grade box. All right. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, notice the circumstances. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So he goes on and says, now, Corinthians, I just want you to know that there is this chance for you to be involved. And so I've given some instructions and he talks again about some of the things that they already know. And they come then down to verse eight. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Now let's read verse nine out loud together. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Here's what I want you to notice in these verses if you're following along in the notes. Though poor, they bless fellow Christians undergoing famine. Though poor, these Macedonian believers bless fellow Christians undergoing famine. Now here's the background. Some of us may have never have read 2 Corinthians 8 before, but in the New Testament, in the early days of the church and the churches, what happened is, is that there were Jewish Christians and then later people outside of Judaism started coming to know Christ, Gentiles. And the Apostle Paul helped plant churches on three different missionary journeys. On his second missionary journey, you can read about this in Acts 16 and 17 if you want to, he planted three churches in Macedonia, which is now modern-day Greece, northern Greece. And those churches were Thessalonica, Philippi, and Berea. We have a letter to the Philippians, and we have a letter to the Thessalonians. But notice that when he planted those churches, they happened to trust Christ in very difficult times. In other words, by deciding to follow Jesus, many of them lost their jobs, their form of income, and they paid a price to trust Christ in those days. And yet it was, it was just a miracle how they came to know Christ. God's grace got to them. They heard that message and they go, I know, I know that I'm more sinful and flawed than I can imagine, but I also know that this message tells me I'm more loved and accepted in Christ than I ever dared hope. And they trusted in Christ. They, they surrendered their lives to Christ and they became new people. Now, what happened is, is that several years later, the Jewish Christians back in Jerusalem, which is where the first church started, you can read about it in Acts 2, 3, and 4, 
They had, as had been predicted, a famine come to them, and this famine put them in terrible straits. So when the different churches, whether they were Jewish or Gentile, heard about this, all of them said, this is an opportunity for us to bless our fellow brothers and sisters. Now what's amazing is, if you read, if you read Ephesians 2, you can learn that before Christ came, Jewish people and Gentile people didn't get along. They were enemies. There was an enmity. They looked down on each other. They hated each other. But then they met Christ. And now Christ absolutely obliterated those kinds of categories and obliterated that kind of enmity. And so when these Gentile Christians, who were 14, I googled this, over 1,400 miles away, heard that they had an opportunity, they got excited about how they could love their former enemies, now brothers and sisters in Christ. Friends, this was a miracle, and it was a witness to the world. What's going on? Gentiles caring about Jewish people. Oh, my goodness, that had now come to know Christ. So Paul is writing to the Corinthian church about how they can get involved, and he says, now, just north of you, there's these three churches in Thessalonica, Berea, and Philippi. I want to tell you about what God's grace is working in their lives as you think about what you're going to do how you might participate. Now, let me just say this. The line there, I said, though poor. In my notes, I wrote extremely poor. This isn't American poor. This is poor, poor. This is like really hard times. So I don't know about you, but when things are a severe trial or extreme poverty, I usually say, well, I'll just have to wait till the next opportunity. The Macedonian believers didn't do this. They didn't do this at all. Notice what they did. I want you to notice several things they did because this can shape how we look at life and our chance to be a blessing as a church. First, if you're following along, they acknowledge the Lord and give themselves first to him. They acknowledge the Lord and give themselves first to him. They were wholehearted about this. They just said, notice I didn't say they gave themselves to the Savior. They gave themselves to the Lord. Jesus was not just Savior for them. He was the Lord of their lives. They had yielded their lives to him as the gospel calls us to do. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so as they acknowledged the Lord and put him first, um, something happened. Second thing, though, notice what else they did. They acknowledge people, and they give themselves next to others. They acknowledge people and they give themselves next to others. I want you to notice this order. Because whenever you and I get this order wrong, we're overwhelmed. Or we will not have the power to do God, what God wants us to do. Or we might have all kinds of well-meaning things, but we may not be led by the Lord. I've met a lot of people that they think that they always have to do stuff for everybody. No. No. We don't have to do everything, but we need to do something. But are we being led by the Lord? So they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to people, to others. Now, where do I get this? In the second gray box there, again, here's just another uh, version of the same thing we just read. Would you read it out loud with me? 2 Corinthians 8, 5. This verse has changed my life. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. This has really sharpened our church over the years. When we talked about raising money, whether or not to come out to this campus so we could make room for more people, our simple phrase in those days was, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Whatever you say, Lord, you're now the Lord of my life. I'll listen to you. And as we learn how to acknowledge the Lord first, 
he has first place in our life, then he can show us how to look at people. He can show us how to look at others. We talked about this a while ago, but let me just repeat it again. Why is when the Bible talks about sin, why is that such a big deal? Because it is so relationally destructive. What sin does is all of us were created, we were made by God for God to be turned outward first to God and then to other people. But what sin does when each one of us has gone our own way is it turns us in on ourselves. And some people as they're turned in on themselves, in their insecurity or in their sinfulness, actually try and promote themselves. Some people turned in on themselves actually hate themselves and condemn themselves and they become just turned in on themselves in a totally destructive way that way. It doesn't matter. The point is we're obsessed with ourselves. And you know, I don't know if you've noticed this, just think with me. If I'm always looking this way, am I able to see what's going on around me? No, I'm blind. But God, in his grace, found us in this condition and said, I can change you from the inside out if you'll trust me. I'll give you grace. And he's done that kind of miracle in a number of our lives. And if you've never known his grace, that's what he wants you to know, really know, his grace. And once that happens, as it happened to the Macedonian Christians, they were turned outward. And now they began to live this way. And they acknowledged the Lord first, and then they acknowledged people. Now, what does the word acknowledge mean? If you're following along, I want you to see that the word acknowledge means to notice, to recognize, to appreciate, or honor. To notice, to recognize, to appreciate, or honor. We could use the word value. There's a lot of different things here, but when I acknowledge my wife rather than just nod my head a lot, she can tell the difference. <laughs> Friends. And when I'm really noticing, when I'm really appreciating, when I'm really honoring, when I'm really tuned in, oh my goodness, there is a relational connection that is a completely different quality. And this is what was going on. This is what they were seeking. And this is what you and I can learn how to do more and more and more as we walk with Jesus. So let me just show you several things that happened as they acknowledged the Lord first and then acknowledged people. Here's what I want you to see. God's grace now motivates them from the inside out. God's grace as it works in them now motivates them from the inside out. Again, I don't know about you, but sometimes after walking with the Lord for a while, I just start taking grace for granted. I just fall back into this thing where I deserve grace. And then I have to remember, no, I don't deserve grace, but God gives me grace. And when I live in that appreciation and when I understand, oh my gosh, God, apart from you, what would I be? I've seen what I'm like without you. I'm seeing, I see what I like. I'm like when I don't follow you and trust you. But thank you for your grace day by day and for eternity. And so they saw that and it, turned, it, it, it affected them from the inside out. Now here's friends, this is what's different. Anyone in our world can do something good. Please know I am thankful for any virtue I see in our world. But the difference ultimately will come down to a difference in motive It'll come down to a difference in who gets praised and glorified. And that's why they acknowledged the Lord first, because they wanted the Lord to get the praise. They wanted the Lord to be the one that motivated them and not just their own do-goodism. And friends, ultimately, I've noticed ulterior motives in myself apart from Christ. 
if I don't. And so they, they, from the inside out, and this is just such a powerful thing. Notice, I love how it says. It says, they did, you know, they, it surprised us. Let me just read the verse the way it says it so I'm not like saying something on my own. Entirely on their own, the end of verse three. Entirely on their own. Do you hear this? No arm twisting. No, hey, this would be a great idea if you're a caring, thoughtful person. Entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They said, you got to let us. This is an opportunity. This is a get to. This is a want to. We're not doing this because you told us. We're not doing this because we feel guilty. We're doing this because God's grace has done something to affect our hearts and now we got to share it. We got to pass it on. Oh my goodness, friends, what a beautiful thing when God works that way in our hearts. The next thing I want you to see, though, is that God's grace changes the questions they ask. God's grace changes the questions they ask. What do I mean by that? I told you before that they were extremely poor, and this was a severe trial. So they could have said, well, what can't we do? I mean, there's so much we can't do. But they didn't ask that question. They said, what can we do? Even in our circumstances, they didn't say, how are we going to compare to others? No. They knew that somebody might be able to give more. They might be in a different situation. They didn't go by amount. They didn't say, what's the amount I can... No, they just said, what can I do? I've shared with you before that there's five words that Jesus once spoke to a woman after she had anointed him with oil and all the other disciples were criticizing her for what she'd done. Here it is, Mark 14, 8. These verses, these words can change your life if you think about them. Let's read them. She did what she could. I've lost more time in my life by thinking about what I can't do. But I've made the best use of time when I've simply said, what can I do? My mom's sitting here today and she hasn't been able to be here as often in the last few months because of her health. And uh, 30 years ago, she got fibromyalgia and she was a doer and that's really hampered what she could do. But I love you, mom, because what you do is you say each day, what can I do? And then she does it. More time gets lost by saying what I can't do and thinking about what I can't do than what I, can I? And you and I can ask that question and they just simply said, what can we do? What can we do? And you know, when God's grace gets to you, God's grace will create in you a get-to spirit. And that's what happened to them. It changed their questions. Here's another verse that I've listed out to the right, 2 Samuel 9.1. I love this verse. King David, who had been chased by Saul, who had been the former king for 10 years, after he becomes king and Saul had passed away, here's the question David asked one day. Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Saul's son, Jonathan, and him had been best friends, and they had made a treaty with each other that if something happens to one of us, we'll take care of each other's family. And so David was trying to figure out, how can I, for Jonathan's sake, show kindness? And friends, for us as Christians, here's the question. How can I, for Jesus' sake, show kindness? 
How can I? Based on all that Jesus has done for me, how can I show kindness to someone else? How can I let what he's done for me touch someone else like it's touched me? So I could talk more, but let's go on. Notice this. Here's the big idea I hope you take to your cars today. Here's the picture. They want to be pipelines, not holding tanks with God. They want to be pipelines, not holding tanks with God. Here's what happens. If we don't properly receive grace, we can just become a holding tank. We can come here every Sunday and go, tell me again, God, how you gave me grace. I love it. I'll just hold on to it. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying his grace. But it never was meant to be held on to. It was meant to be shared. And when you and I are piped in with God and he begins to extend his grace into us, he wants it to go through us a lot farther than just us. And when they began to understand this, when they had this understanding, oh my goodness, this is why I've been made. I've been made to know God and to acknowledge him in all my ways. And I've been made to know people by acknowledging them with God's power. And he's wanting me to be a pipeline, not a holding tank. He's not wanting me to be a consumer. What a small vision. He wants me to be a blessing wherever I go, whoever I'm with in smallest of ways, by his grace. And they saw this. The last thing I want you to see is together, their response to God's grace blesses many. Together, their response to God's grace blesses many. I circled the word together. Did you notice what it says? The Macedonian churches. They didn't just say, what can Philippi do or Thessalonica do or Berea do here at our church? They said, hey, look, we're all going through the severe trial. What if we like did together what we could and send it to Jerusalem? And so they did it together. And friends, I just want to tell you, sometimes in our community, we think about just our little home, our little family, our little group. But what if we began to say in our life groups, our Sunday school classes, even in our services, what can we do if each one of us just says, Lord, what do you want me to do? And see the multiplied power of that. They bless many. They bless their own fellowship and they bless beyond the walls of their fellowship. Both. Look at Galatians 6, 9, and 10. I love these verses. And they just remind us sometimes when we get tired let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, would you read these last two and a half lines with me? Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And then look at 2 Corinthians 9. In the last service, a guy came up to me afterwards and said, I had never seen this before. And he pointed out something in these verses. Let me read it to you. So Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, okay, if you decide to get involved, I just want you to understand the far reach of this, how this will bless. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing, and here's what this guy was struck by, in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise who, friends? God, for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity and sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. And then there's this amazing verse. Thanks be to God for his 
indescribable gift. Who is the indescribable gift, friends? It's Jesus. I don't want to ever, ever, ever get over what God gave me in Jesus. His best. And when he gave me Jesus, he gave me everything. It's like a Russian doll. You think all you got is one doll. And you open up and you go, I got a whole bunch of things with one doll. Jesus is his indescribable gift. And we as a church get to enjoy him every day by his grace. But the way we enjoy him is huge. So how do we practice his blessing? I told you that we've been showing videos of different people in our church that have talked about what happens if we as a church try and be a blessing to the family of believers, to each other. And uh, this is uh, Bob Kay sharing honestly about his story. So watch as Bob shares what God's taught him about the blessing. Well, hello. I'm Bob Kay, and Berta and I, along with our two children, moved to Springfield in 2001. And we started going to another church. And it was Hannah who realized that she would appreciate going to a church where her friends from school attended. So I allowed Berta and Hannah to go church shopping while I kept going to the old church. And lo and behold, they found Cherry Hills, they liked it. So I attended for two Sundays in a row. Immediately after that, I perforated my colon, I had emergency surgery, I was in the hospital for eight days, and then I came home. And then for the next 10 days, we were overwhelmed by the church's generosity, by people who brought us food, who wanted to check on me. And we finally had to tell people to stop bringing food because our refrigerator was overwhelmed. So I just felt this strong blessing from a church that I had only attended two Sundays. And I got to thinking, what do they do with full-fledged members? And so we, uh, we continued to attend. I became a member. I actually became baptized here after years and years of resistance to that idea. And the church has just been a real blessing to me and my family since 2001. Some of you know Bob is the, is the chair of our finance team. And then also Berta, if you appreciate all the plants and flowers on our campus, she volunteers along with a whole team of volunteers to take care of the grounds like that. And so they just have been a blessing in lots of ways that maybe you didn't know they were part of that. But um, let me just talk to you about how we can practice the blessing. If someone says, Jeff, what do you try and do every day? I think I could net it out for you. It's these first two lines here. Acknowledge the Lord in all our ways every day. Acknowledge the Lord in all our ways every day. Some of you know that Proverbs 3, 6 is one of my favorite verses. In all your ways, acknowledge him, honor him, notice him, appreciate him, listen to him, and he will direct your paths. He will all day long. You and I can acknowledge him wherever we go, whatever we're doing, even the smallest little things, but also acknowledge people. Acknowledge people we meet and see them as God sees them. Acknowledge people we meet and see as God sees them. A number of you told me that it helped a few weeks ago when we talked about expressing high value and seeing people as God sees them as made by God and paid for by God in Christ. That doesn't mean a person has necessarily come to trust Christ yet, and that's huge. 
but it does mean that every person, believer or unbeliever, we can look at them and see them through the eyes of a gracious God. And as we do, then we can love them, we can care about them, we can see them differently. I don't know about you, but if I went by my way of seeing, I would misjudge people nine times out of 10. But God's changing us, and so the ability to acknowledge the Lord and then say, now teach me how to acknowledge people. Friends, I just wanna ask you, has anybody ever acknowledged you and you knew it? They really listened. They were tracking with you. When they looked in your eyes, you could tell they valued you, they cared about you. If you've ever experienced that, you know that it is one of the greatest gifts you can give to bless someone on this earth because most of us are all caught up with our own stuff, we're so busy, and even when we mean well, sometimes we still send the message that we're not really acknowledging someone. But when you and I walk through this day, walk through each day with the Lord helping us really acknowledge first our family members and then those beyond the walls of our home, beyond the walls of our church, what can happen? So this last thing about this I want you to see is this is ask this question daily. Ask this question daily. Who can I bless today, Lord? Who can I bless today, Lord? I have a friend out in California, and he, he and his wife have just done some very outrageous things to Trish and me, and I, sometimes I'll just go like, what in the world? And he'll say, we just wanna bless you guys. And I can just tell, he walks around all the time, how can I bless someone? I just wanna bless you guys. And I thought at first, well, that just sounds like real churchy language, but he means it. It's, he wants to do that. So if you turn your notes over, I know some of us have already put it away. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, you'll notice the five elements of the blessing are reviewed there in the back, but I want you to look at the bottom section here. I talked about this, that sometimes the reason why we don't take advantage of blessing someone is because we think we got to do the big thing. And really the blessing many times is a small thing and doing lots of little things over and over and over again. Not for the praise of people, not so that we get appreciated, most, you know, it's nice when it happens, but because Jesus has blessed us and we wanna pass it on. So how are some ways you could do that? As you walk to your car today, or as you think about this this afternoon, or you head into your week, what would it look like if you did it? Here's just several things I've been learning. First, a word. You can bless someone with a word. We talked about this this second of the elements. And you can do it with a text, an email, a spoken word. And it may, some of you know, there's encouragement notes in the seat pockets there in front of you. Some of you have just written one sentence or two to somebody. I have some of those in my Bible. I actually have a rainy day file full of encouragement notes that I've kept over the years that sometimes when I'm needing to keep running, I'll just read those. Sometimes it's a word of scripture, a word, a look, some of you know that my dad went through a tough time in high school where for about two years, the popular kids in the school, is just a really small town high school, 25 kids in his class just kind of shunned him. And anybody else that wanted to pay attention, my dad knew they'd pay a price for the popular kids, so not many people did, but there was one girl in the school. There was no, nothing meant by it other than just genuine kindness who would look across the room sometimes and just smile at my dad. It was a genuine smile. And that look helped my dad keep going. You and I can encourage and bless someone sometimes just with a look of love and kindness, a touch. We talked about making sure it's appropriate, not inappropriate, making sure we have permission, but a lot of times it's just putting our hand on our shoulder or it's shaking hands with someone, high-fiving someone, 
that can really encourage people. A listening ear, boy, way to value somebody nowadays. The only thing a listening ear costs is time. But man, that seems to be so expensive to many of us. But when you listen and not just have all the answers, it's a powerful way to bless someone. A prayer, praying with someone. Sometimes I combine this with asking if I can put my hand on their shoulder and say, can we like do this together so I can be with you on this? Last night, I I had a wedding yesterday out of town, and so I was sitting in a tent at the reception afterwards with some people I'd never met before. We found out we were fellow Christians. They go to a church outside of town here. And we got to know their story. They were telling me about their four grown kids. And they were telling me that their hearts are hurting right now because a couple of their kids have just, they they don't know if they believe anymore, and they've kind of walked away from God. And so I said, what are their names? And they told me, and I said, could I pray with you right now? Or your kids. I just I want to just stand with them and get them to know God's grace in this time as they wait on the Lord. And so uh, did that. About 15 minutes later, I was standing talking uh, to some other people, and then I was standing by myself. And this couple came back to me, and they, without me, like I wasn't used to this, but they, they hugged me, and then they whispered in my ear, "You'll never know how much that prayer meant to me." We may never know. They may not always hug us, but that's a great way to pass on the blessing. A gift. This is what the Macedonian churches did. An invitation. Oh, that's powerful. Hey, there's room in our row. You want to sit with us? Hey, we're going to lunch afterwards. You want to join us? Hey, have you ever heard about the grace that Jesus Christ offers? Wow. An act of service. Some of you have done this with meals. Some of you have cut someone's lawn. Some of you have offered childcare. Huge way to bless through words and actions. So as we think about this, there's a little chorus from an old hymn called Make Me a Blessing. And um, it just says, make me a blessing, make me a blessing out of my life. May Jesus shine. Make me a blessing, oh Savior, I pray. Make me a blessing to someone. To someone. My, my radar's up. Show me. Can you imagine the multiplied power if 1,400 of us, every age, just live more and more like this? If in our homes we say, hey kids, how can we be a family who blesses? If in our life groups we say, this is great being together, how can we be a life group who blesses? If in our services we say, oh God, thank you for your presence and your grace here. This isn't just for us. How can we be a church that looks outward and cares about our city and world? Next week is Vision Sunday. I hope you're here. But if not, I hope you listen. Because we're going to share an idea that we are so stoked about before the year ends about how we as a church can tangibly be a blessing to another church and another ministry on the other side of the world, both here and far, near and far. So I hope you'll come.